We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. From the outside, Amy Way looks middle-class normal. She's a new mom, a little older than the others in her Florida suburb. She's got a 15-year-old stepdaughter, an adoring college professor husband. She and her white, educated neighbor ladies watch each other's kids. They power walk, they shop at TJ Maxx, and get together at book club. But it's mining what's below the surface of ordinary lives that has made Jocelyn Jackson a multiple New York Times bestselling novelist. Her newest book, Never Have I Ever, ratchets things up to thriller level when a new neighbor knocks at Amy's door. The sultry and charming stranger, Rue, hijacks the agenda at book club and soon moves on to Amy's life with a blackmail scheme to expose a long-buried secret. Jocelyn Jackson is going to be at the Decatur Book Festival on Saturday, August 31st to talk about Never Have I Ever and has a book launch tonight at Eagle Eye Books, but is here with us today. Welcome. So glad you're here. Oh, thanks for having me, Virginia. All right. So I gave a brief little sketch up there. Could you fill in the scene for when this mysterious woman, Rue, arrives at... That, uh, this is so uh, Jocelyn Jackson, the brain dead mommy's book club. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, um, you know, they're adjuncts and administrators and librarians. They're living in a seaside college town. And Rue is different from the moment she steps in. Amy says she seems like somebody who would know how to make pate from scratch <laughs> or has a passport full of stamps or the kind of person who's probably had sex in a moving vehicle, maybe on the way to book club. <laughs> so she stands out immediately and she's very charismatic. So she derails the discussion of House of Mirth and gets everyone playing a drinking game that's designed to get you drunk enough to say more than you should. Uh-huh. So there's a passage early on about how the women initially respond to Rue. Could you read that for us? Oh, sure. I'd love to. We have a new neighbor, Charlotte said. This is her first time at book club. Let's all welcome, um, Rue. A murmur of hellos went around the circle, and Tate whispered something to Panda. Panda nodded like always, but maybe less emphatically than usual. Panda Greer was top-heavy and matronly, with both a plain, sweet face and a delicious husband. She had made Tate her best friend the minute the Benascos moved in, petting her, bringing over fruit and coffee almost every morning. It was as if Panda thought Tate was a smoking-hot volcano god that must be propitiated, propitiated, lest she erupt with sex all over Panda's marriage. Now Rue was in the room, an obvious expansion of a dangerous pantheon, and Tate was bristling at the competition— Panda couldn't serve both gods, and I was small-town enough to wonder how it would play out. I thought she'd likely stick by next-door Tate. The Sprite House was four blocks further away from the beautiful Mr. Greer. And the Sprite House, in this case, is Amy's best friend Char's Airbnb. You you know, I, I know two things. You read, you do the audiobooks for your own books, right? I do, yeah. And I can just hear it now. But also that you're an actress. You know, you you make acute observations of these little petty dynamics and little power plays and alliances. Is that part of your knack for watching human behavior, being an actress? Oh, sure. I mean, people are, I, I think about my, I have this dog who if you're petting another dog, she just loses her mind. And we're really not that different. Like you see those little microcosms play out. We are we are mammals. We are pack animals. We have all these same kinds of instincts. And that's fun. 
Well, from the jump, we see, as you said, you know, she kind of hijacks the book club, derails the conversation, pours many drinks and starts this game. Never have I ever. It's very like middle school, except everyone's older and a lot drunker, probably. And this eventually raises Amy's hackles. Is, what's happening to her? What's well, happening to Amy? Very quickly for Amy, it, it it becomes very clear that Rue has aimed the game at her. This is not Rue is not coming here randomly to hijack a book club. She's after Amy. Amy is not exactly who she appears to be. She has reinvented herself after a very dark past, and Rue knows this coming in. Yeah, so she's she's a mar- she's a mark. Yeah, she's absolutely a mark. And I think one of the things that I like about this scene is there is all this sort of fun, petty snottiness, but there's also some really genuine, loving relationships that, and this is a community, and we all have our little uh, sore places in our neighborhoods in our community, that neighbor who won't cut their bushes back or whatever. But that's all layered over these relationships that really matter. Yeah, and she's made this life for herself yes. after this dark past. And it's, you know, later that Rue exposes that she has been targeting her. And we begin to learn more about Amy. She was an unpopular, overweight kid. Um, and after this defining event, a very self-destructive young adult, you know, drinking, indiscriminate sex. What changed for her? Uh, well, Amy uh, says scuba diving mm-hmm. changed it. Um, she found a place under the water where she could be at peace and sort of let her past go. There's a lot of baptism imagery that goes along with this. I mean, I, I knew she would be a scuba diver before I started the book because I wanted all those metaphors to be in place. I've, I've long called myself a redemption-obsessed novelist. <laughs> and and while this is a thriller and it's fun and there's twists and there's turns, I, I certainly am looking at the mechanics of grace. Yeah. And can you reinvent yourself? And their descriptions of it are just beautiful, being underwater. Oh, thank uh, you, you know, it, it, to float in the same place as the truth, silent and unafraid. She says, this is, this is how she does it. And you started scuba diving to research the book. What did it do for you? Oh, it changed the book. Like, I didn't have scuba diving be the thing that saved Amy. And, and it sort of made the book kind of cluttered in a weird way. And then I started diving. It's like yoga plus plus. It puts you in your body. You're in your breath. There's no past. There's no future. It's this moment that you are completely present. And I thought, oh, this is it. And so it really cleaned the book out and focused it. So there was just this one central metaphor that I could expand on. And I think it made the book cleaner and tighter and faster in Mm -hmm. terms of like making the theme really extant so that I could get to the kissing and the shooting. <laughs> well, there is so much. It's such a brisk pace. And that's one of the things I think your books are really known for, that you don't, you know, build up to this big denouement at the end, if I said that even properly. Sure. But that you have these little twists and turns in the plot. How do you pace those out? Well, I don't really like a book where you read for 90,000 words to get this one big whammo twist like and I don't think that's how life goes either I like there to be reversals and for revelations to come in spaced ways so you think you know what's happening you have a pretty good handle on it and then bang no now we're going this way now we're going that that's what I look for in a thriller and that's what I tried to do in this well book. this is your first thriller yes <laughs> so what 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 brought that about um 
I didn't set out to, I didn't like, today I should wake up and write a thriller. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like that. I just started writing the book I wanted to write. And a couple of chapters in, I was like, oh, this is paced differently. I'm going to have to rework how the arc of this works. Mm. And so it like it really, Virginia, it's my book. Like, if you like my voice, my weird sense of humor, my female characters who act instead of reacting it's definitely a jocelyn jackson book but i've upped the stakes yeah it's ratcheted up well this is one of the things too i noticed that once the possibility of amy's shame let's say getting out there there's this kind of regression and and she says rue conjured this long transformed amy smith basically yeah she was when she was growing up she begins overeating she can't stop herself even when making herself feel sick and that experience secret secretly using food embedded in her history the history of so many women that i know certainly Hi. okay so i wondered <laughs> is this part of your history too? oh yeah absolutely you know the, you none of my characters are me but they're all mine. And so I explore the kinds of questions that drive me. And I think so many American women have an absolutely poisonous relationship with food. I'm, you know, I'm 51 now. I'm moderately at peace with food, but it is an uneasy peace. Yeah. And I, as a younger woman, it was all, you know, straight up war. Yeah. Uh, she was a former laxative user, binge eater. Yeah. I mean, She's so many women. She's So she does the whole spectrum of eating disorder. She's a compulsive overeater, a bulimic, and an anorexic, like depending on how it's manifesting. The whammy. My guest is Jocelyn Jackson, best-selling author of Gods in Alabama, Between Georgia, and six other novels, in addition to their newest, Never Have I Ever, which is a thriller. Well, this is the other thing that comes across here, like how frail ordinary life is, you know, how easy it was to get off track for Amy. Yes. And how the old survival tactics, you know, letting the lies roll off of her tongue. We all have these secrets. Have we all got this in us? I think so. I, I, I will say that, that it is a personality thing. Like uh, one of the things that's the most interesting to me about this book is that if Rue and Amy took Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, they would get very similar results. The sorting hat would pop them both right into Slytherin. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I'm, I would be put in Slytherin. I think there's some good people who are Slytherins, but you know, they, they're two sides of the same coin. And what really, so when, what looks like a cat and mouse game, Rue comes in to play cat and mouse and very quickly she's playing cat and cat. Mm. So they're well matched, which I think makes it a more fun iteration of cat and mouse. Yeah. This is the thing. One of the things that comes across in the brinksmanship, I think (laughs) between the two of them, um, they see themselves in each other. Yes. And and Amy says, you know, she's schooled in dishonesty. And it made me think, you know, takes a con to know a con, right? Yeah. The only, but in a way, Rue's the only person who truly knows her. Yes. It, Rue knows her whole history and Rue understands her personality. So at the same time that, you know, Amy hates her, Rue's coming to destroy her life. But there's an undeniable attraction there because she recognizes herself. One reviewer called it um, a cross between Desperate Housewives and Killing Eve, <laughs> which I think is, yes, if those two had a baby, it would be I'll my take book. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it also made me think, you know, as I was thinking about that, that relationship between the cons, that being a novelist is a bit of a con, right? You are, you are, you are, you are gaining people's faith in these characters and who you are presenting. And then there's all these switches and misdirections. Yes. I'm, I'm not thinking that the, that's your next career necessarily. <laughs> As a con. Well, you know, I do come out of theater. So yeah. I, I understand the mechanics of that pretty well. And 
and I do want to say too, though, you know, I I really like Amy. I don't think she's an unreliable narrator. She doesn't tell any lies to the reader that she's not telling to herself. Like she really is trying to be a good person. And I, I think that's what I look for in a character that I'm going to be interested in because it's, it is not easy just to be a good person, Mm. just to be, especially if you have a past, like Amy's trying to live down, but just even just the mechanics of goodness, we're all so busy and we're all so egocentric and we're also this and that. And I, I do, you know, she has some questionable skill sets, but I I like her. Yeah, and they were hard, you know, honestly come upon. You know, they were they were yes. formed because of this trauma in her life, and and even if Rue does know her better than anyone else, she she knows her on her worst day ever. You know what happens yes. on her worst day, and this made me think a lot about you know justice and forgiveness of others and of the self. Is that anything that you are working through in the book? Yes, I, mean, I know you know this. I I work with a group called Reforming Arts. Yeah. We are a small nonprofit that works to bring higher education to Georgia's prison system. And I think a lot of, I mean, I was already interested in reinvention and redemption, which is probably why I work with reforming arts. But certainly my work there has tempered that. Like I I see people who are going to get out of prison and they want a connected, sustainable, good life. They just want some opportunities and they're going to be defined by one thing they did mm-hmm. maybe 30 years ago. I mean, this is Max we're talking about. Yeah. The one that they do this thing and it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But you can't walk around your whole life holding the worst thing you've ever done in the palm of your hand, staring at it. You can't define yourself that way. And and so I'm I guess I was interested in in can you reinvent to that degree? Can't how can you will other people let you? Can you remake a life into something connected and sustainable and sweet when you have this thing in your hand? Will anybody let you put that down ever? And you're teaching writing to them, correct? At uh, least yeah. Creative writing, composition, literature, because I think that is like if you can tell your narrative, you can control your narrative and you can change your narrative. Mm -hmm. Like if you can express it and think about it on those terms, you can change it. Giving them a tool to work it out in some level. Yeah. Or just creating space where that can happen, where there's a room with some agency in it. And um, and also just on a more pragmatic level, I think education equals opportunity. Mm. So if you have an education, when you get out, you're already to a place where there's going to be more opportunities for you to build a sustainable life. This is, I think, a rich vein that I've seen in your other books, too. You know, like troubled adolescents, they go through things and then they become adults with their lives put together. And and many of them leave home. They get as far away as possible. You know, like <laughs> uh, uh, Amy basically goes to the other side of other coast, you yeah. know. Uh, so, so is that necessary? Leaving home behind to to reinvent the self. I I think it's a huge it's a huge help. Like I think it's very hard to reinvent yourself if you are in the same place with the same people, um, because you know that old thing: lie down with dogs. Get it's really true. Like how much the people you choose to be the dearest people in your life, how much those relationships shape you. I don't think we're really aware of that. Yeah. And and in the book, you know, Amy enters into a relationship with Rue. So it's that idea of how can I fight this person who's doing all these wrong things 
without losing the self I'm trying to become, without entering, like, I have to, if I go down to her level to fight her, do I lose this person I've invented that's who I really want to be? How much, how far do I have to go to protect that person? You know, it's a catch-22. It is such a slippery slope here. Uh, just um, before we close, The House of the Mirth is the novel that they're discussing yes. at Book Club, right? <laughs> this 19th century novel, uh, Edith Wharton novel, yes. also about blackmail and a woman threatened to have her past exposed. And obviously, there have been blackmail stories about men, too. But do you think the reputational risks are different yes. for women? I, yeah, of course. I, I'm glad you caught that. The House of Mirth was a very intentional choice. Anybody who's familiar with that book is going to that's that was a little bit of uh, literature humor. I there. was an English major. What can I say? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it is. You know, it's a book about social mores. And this book is definitely about that. And it's about reputation. And it's about what it means to be a woman wrestling with these things. I mean, it is uh, you I've seen that story so many times, you know, you look into the abyss and the abyss looks back, but it's almost always told by and about men. And I wanted to look at it. How would it be different if it were women and not just women, mothers, because I think the most dangerous animal on the planet is a mother anything. (laughs) Well, looking forward to the next thriller, maybe, or or whatever you come up with. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Well, we're going to leave you with Dr. John's Mama Roo, exposing the dark side as we remember to tell you that Jocelyn will be at the Decatur Book Festival, the new book, Never Have I Ever, having a book launch party tonight at Eagle Eye Books. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, LaRaven Taylor, Priya Mahadevan, and Jake Troyer with help from Bram Sable-Smith, Jesse Nyswanger, our engineer, Amy Kiley is our senior producer. I'm Virginia Prescott. Please come back and join us again with On Second Thought.